Welcome, welcome to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. My name is Dr. Andy Rourke, and I'll be your host. I am here today with my friend, uh, the neurologist and president of Not One More Vet, Dr. Carrie Journey. We are talking about burnout during the pandemic, the shifting paradigm of wellness in vet medicine, and what wellness in vet medicine looks like going forward. What advances have we made in the last couple of years, and what advances will we make in the very near future. I'm super happy with the interview as far as uh, how we talk about wellness in a forward-thinking, progressive, action-oriented way that that helps me imagine a better world. That's what I I really like about it. This is a great uh, great episode. Carrie and I do touch on suicide, so if that is something that you uh, do not want to uh, listen to, then uh, this is a good episode to skip. Otherwise, we just uh, talk briefly about uh, three-quarters of the way through the episode. And that is uh, that is what is there. So just be aware of that. Also be aware, this episode is sponsored by my friends at Cubex. Cubex is a maker of DEA compliant smart cabinets that are suitable for any practice size. You can learn more about them at Cubex.com. Guys, without further ado, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Carrie Journey. How are you? I'm well, Andy. How are you? It's good to have you back. It's, uh, are we talking about today? Are we, are we doing your neurology wisdom or are we doing your <laughs> burnout wisdom? I think we're I doing think burnout. We're talking about the other stuff, the other stuff, the stuff around practice. Not, uh, <laughs> Maybe not if people stick around to the end, we'll do a, qu- a, a quick, a tight five on the neurologic examination. <laughs> like, hot tips for seizure meds at the end. Yeah, just right, the, right at the very end. Uh, <laughs> squeeze it, squeeze it in. Oh, man. But it's great to see you. You are a board-certified neurologist. Uh, you are also the president of Not One More Vet. Uh, you had the great fortune to take over Not One More Vet, probably the premier mental health uh, outlet for veterinarians, uh, in February of 2020 at the beginning of a global pandemic. Um, boy, yeah. you won the lottery on that one. I really did. I really did. I, I look back to that board meeting and I think to myself, my God, my God. I thought I was like, well, I got a big job, but I can do it. And then, you know, we went into lockdown and the world turned crazy. So you know. say, my last trip was February of 2021. That was the last time that I traveled. Uh, I before think we were at the same conference so with that board meeting at Western. So yeah, I think that's yeah. probably what it was. That was that was my last flight, and I drove mm-hmm. and spoke to some wonderful technicians in Georgia, like a, a week or two after that. And yeah. when we were there, when I'll never forget when we were there. Um, it was weird because other things were shutting down, and I remember I called them. And I was like, "Are we doing this?" And they were like, "You comfortable doing it?" And I was like, I "Think so." But it was like at, at the point, COVID was like moving across the country. And it was almost like we were looking out the window and waiting for it to arrive. But it was, you know, it was about the week after that, that things, they started having real lockdowns and things. And, yeah. Uh, man. Wow. So anyway, you, uh, so you take over Nambi and let's, let's talk. What I want to talk to you today about is the change that we're seeing in how we talk about mental health and what's happening in mental health. And have we made any progress? Like, cause I, you know, I think a lot of people go, oh my God, are we doing the same things we were doing years ago or the last few years? And I go, I don't think so. I, I do. I'm an optimist. I, I see progress being made. Um, 
let's go ahead and start to talk about that. You want to talk about burnout in our profession over the last two years. So let's let's say between right. 2020 and, or, and now, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's so much important context into realizing that these problems in our profession have been there since we started collecting data, right? Like we yeah. have we have data on mental health concerns in veterinary medicine dating back to the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, so none of this stuff is new, right? What I do think has that has changed in the last five years and particularly in the last two years is that it has been okay to talk about it, right? And mm-hmm. that we are pushing that conversation more and more. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes that conversation goes, you know, a, a way that somebody's not not entirely pleased about. But at the same time, like we're really starting to lean into those hard conversations. And certainly, you know, Navi is largely run on online, and so we have those conversations online a lot. But I'm also starting to see them happen in practices, um, and it to be a real conversation that is happening around, you know, a, a lot of aspects of practice. And so I think, you know, when I look about look at things like burnout and wellness, I look at them holistically. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Uh, we always say at NAMI, like suicide prevention isn't just that conversation that you have. Like suicide prevention is also things like financial resources. It's things yeah. like, you know, so so to get back to your actual question, which was about burnout, you know, how has the last couple of years been terrible? I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> like it's been, a t- I've worked in veterinary medicine for 20 years. Um, these have been the hardest two years I've ever seen for our profession. And I think, yeah. you know, we're not alone in the world and feeling no. like, it's been a hard couple of years, right? Yeah. Um, but I see, you know, the silver linings that I see there, because I'm not an optimist, Andy, I'll tell you, but I've worked very hard on trying to be <laughs> one. Um, I see that our profession had some hard changes that it needed to make. And this has kind of forced us into some of them. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah. Let, so, let me let me jump in with my with my optimism. Here comes some yeah, sunshine. Yeah, um, yeah the, pandi- the pandemic has been hard. I I thoroughly and strongly believe that a lot of good has come out of the pandemic for our profession. And it's because we were hammered into making some real changes that we would not otherwise have made. And and we talk holistically, you know, um, everything from better, smoother communication systems, you know what I mean? As far as we're going to do text messaging and we're going to do online booking and appointment booking and people go, that's not wellness. I go, yeah, it is. Anything like that that smooths workflow. It super is. And like, I've been messing around with telemedicine for like five years and never like made it stick. I figured it out in one day. One day. I got COVID and I'm a single doctor practice. I got COVID and it was like, I have employees to support. Like, I got to figure this out today. Uh, So as soon as my fever broke and I was still at home because it was early on, we didn't have tests, the whole mess. Like, I figured out telemedicine in one day and I still use it to this day. In fact, we do one entire day from home. As a veterinary clinic. Really? It's amazing. It's transformational for my practice. Yeah, my I'm sure. Love it. My clients love it. All those hard, long conversations, all those really complicated diagnostics. We get on Zoom, we talk, they have focused time. I'm not chasing people on the phone. I'm not. It's magical. Yeah. <laughs> and so, that, you know, talk about something for burnout and wellness. Like that's one yeah. day my employees aren't commuting. That's one day that we have where I can be wearing my pajama pants. It's awesome. No, I completely, I completely agree. That's a, that's a fantastic, it's a fantastic example. Cause you're right. It's like, there's a lot of stuff where you go, I just don't want to do this. And you get kicked in the butt and you're like, I, I can figure this out in a day or two, you know? And now that the world sort of opens back up, I think a lot of us are using those tools in proportion. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe we're not 
using telemedicine all the time like we did or curbside, for example, like maybe it's not all the time, but maybe it's some of the time. And maybe, you know, our tiny little vet practice can now see more appointments because we're using outdoor space and maybe there's all of these things. How to check people out remotely. And so now you've got a better workflow. I mean, I think there's so right. much there. And I think there's also a shift in attitude um, that needed to happen as well. I, I certainly have seen amongst practice owners um, a focus on staff. Like realizing that staff is important and staff is precious and they were always important and precious. Um, but I don't think that attitude was quite as pervasive and, um, I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see it. I agree Um, with that. I, I see wages going up, which needed to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I think of places like veg who kind of put it out there of like, this is what we're paying. And it just, it brings the status quo to a better place. Yeah. Um, 95% of technicians don't make a living wage. So that's something that we need to address as a profession. And so like, I, I think the pandemic started to push these conversations a little faster. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, I, I feel very much that, you know, wages in vet medicine, especially for, for paraprofessionals have not been where they need to be for a long time. And we know that and we talk openly about that. I, I still always, I always hold this up and people look at me and they kind of roll their eyes, but then I think they appreciate that I say it. Um, I don't think it's because veterinarians are bad. I think it's because they very much want to keep medicine affordable for pet owners. And, you know, and they, I think veterinarians don't get paid probably what they're worth, uh, especially relative to other medical professionals. Absolutely. So so again, like there's no boogeyman in this scenario for for me, but this is another perfect example of why COVID is good for our profession is that is the kick in the butt where people are like, hey, I want to keep my staff and now there's other corporations coming in. There's a shortage of staff. Uh, people are, are paying more. And I go, you know what? This is painful. And now, ouchie, ouchie. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, it's good in the long term. And I think a lot of people get hung up on like, that's not what we've paid in the past, or that's not what we, that's not what I used to make or things like that. And I go, that's not the mindset. The mindset now needs to be, how do I make this happen? Like, yeah. this is it. that's the question. How do, how do I do this? Like, how do we go stagnant until it has to have to, and it became a have to, you know, and and I think it's good. The other, the other have to uh, is uh, for me, it was very much the personal boundary have to, I think there's a lot of people who just sucked it up, you know, uh, that's it. Just get it done. Just suck it up. I'll stay late. I'll put up with, uh, the angry clients and blah, blah, blah. And I think that having the caseload that we've had and, and people having personal stress at home and people having other things that they have to do that they didn't necessarily have to deal with during the pandemic, I think enough people said, I can't, I just can't suck it up anymore. It, and it so, became impossible. You know, yeah. like I think it it always rode unreasonable. You mm-hmm. know, like we yeah. always, we always achieve, we're an overachieving bunch of squirrels. We really are, but like it became impossible. And I mean, I'll tell you, Andy, I'm that I'm that doctor who doesn't say no. I'm that yeah, doctor. I admit it fully. I admit. And I try really hard to like, you know, manage that behavior. But, you know, right now uh, I'm booked out more than a month and a half. And yeah. as a neurologist, I typically would never be booked out more than a week. Neurology is very emergency heavy. Mm-hmm. People are pretty freaked out. And I would take emergencies no matter what. And I just can't do it anymore. And so yeah. we, we've put hard limits on it and like, it's still uncomfy, but yeah. I know that it's, I know that it's what I need to do. And I know that I can't push my staff that way and that I can't push myself that way. And, and yeah. those boundaries are so important. You know, I, I've been, um, I did a lecture today for the first time. Uh, it was a virtual lecture in the Netherlands, which is pretty cool. Um, and I, I did this, I'm doing this new talk. It's the first time I ever did it. It was called, it's called, uh, practical boundaries for busy practices. 
Yeah. And uh, and so I started talking about it. And um, one of the one of the big things that I, that I sort of started to put on that is, um, you know, there's a there's a cognitive sort of distortion. It's called present bias. And and what present bias is, is it says that we sort of as a species are wired to put uh, to favor immediate smaller gains over later long term gains. Right. Sure. Which if you evolve in a resource scarce environment, it makes sense. You know, eat eat the berry now, even if it might be riper tomorrow, because yeah. you don't know it's going to be there tomorrow. Yeah. And so that's it. And so. There's so much of this stuff where we say uh, we we take the thing that's easy right now, and the, and we sacrifice the benefit we could have in the longer term. And so when people say, "Hey, I need to get in. Hey, I need to get seen. Hey, I really want to get in this week," um, there is an immediate benefit to accommodating them because we want to make them happy, and and we should. Yeah, it's funny the long term benefit in some of those of saying no and saying we are at capacity. That's harder to see, and it comes down the road, right? Because you're like, could I get them in? Yeah, I probably could, but then there would be more people next week, and there'd be more people after that. And at some point, you know, it's death by a thousand cuts. And um, so, but anyway, I just I just think about that when we say it's I, it's still uncomfortable, and it is uncomfortable to say no. You have to believe in the longer term benefit being greater and i think yeah. a lot of us were forced to finally go can't can't just keep you know making the short sacrifice like i've got to make some changes and, I, and what's funny is i think i don't think many of us are going to go back i think that once we've seen the the greater gains down the road of having better boundaries i think a lot of us are going to keep them i i hope so i hope so i i also think um a lot of us were so busy are so busy still that we were um able to reprioritize the clients that we have a good relationship with um, and and deprioritize the ones we have a bad relationship with. And, you know, it, instead of the squeaky wheel getting all the attention, something that I've really noticed in the pandemic is a real focus on like, I have 300 people that want that appointment. And if you're <laughs> going to act like this, I no, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I don't have time to put up yeah. with your, your toddler fit, uh, Miss Smith. I, I, you know, I wish you the best. Um, and I think veterinarians and veterinary professionals on the whole, we're terrible with boundaries. We all yeah. care entirely too much or we wouldn't even be in this profession. And so that was a really hard one thing. And I'll tell you, I don't think I don't think I've even fired one client a year in my entire career. And, you know, in the last year two years, probably five or six, you know? Yeah. And so like, you know, and that's not a ton given the volume that we've seen, but no. comparatively it is like comparatively, it's like, Oh, look at that. Like, no, I'm not actually going to put up with verbal abuse to my staff. Like, yeah, nope, just yeah. not going to happen. So. I, don't, I don't think there's a ton of clients that need to be fired, but there's a, there's a couple, you know what I mean? Like yeah. for, for most of us. And, and, but the thing is that small number take up a wildly disproportionate space in your brain. You know, yeah. uh, when you think about clients, you have this wildly out, uh, outsized view of the ones that you should be done with. And so, yeah, I, th I think that that's super important. Yeah. What, what do you see as uh, the main differences? You know, when you look through through the Namvi lens, what are the differences that you're seeing now as opposed to at the beginning of the pandemic? Are there different um stressors that you're seeing now that you didn't see before? I mean, I there's you're... a change in attitude. You know, I think um, everybody was in emergency mode for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and me included, right? Like, and and I, I actually really love emergency mode. It is kind of where I thrive. You know, neurochemically, mm -hmm. I have ADHD. My brain is always seeking adrenaline, always, always, always. And I 
just really enjoy that space. You know, it's exciting. You know, I remember I was talking to our, our mutual friend, Bruce, about, you know, he set up a war room in his practice where they would strategize <laughs> new things yeah. every day. And I was like, you know, it's just, it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. But as the months rolled on, you can't stay there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to adapt. Um, and I think, you know, what I've noticed in the last probably, probably six months ago, we really started to reach true exhaustion. Like people mm-hmm. just, you know, truly, truly exhausted. And now what I am starting to see is adaptation. Like okay. people adjusting to the new normal, uh, people, you know, taking the lessons they've learned and really trying to find something sustainable. Not everybody's area. I'll even met in even in my practice. Like I don't know that we found what truly sustainable feels like, but we are so much closer than we were six months ago. Like, you know, we've already come to grips with the fact that we need to have these boundaries. We've already, you know, we've already worked out all these technologic systems. And now we're in the refining point of like, okay, like all of this was great stuff that we've learned. Like and I do feel like I've put enough boundaries in place and I'm starting to like take a breath and say like, okay, how do we move on from here? And I, I'm excited for that. I think that that's going to be a place of extreme growth. I truly think that the pandemic will have forced a paradigm shift in veterinary medicine. And I, I it was a long time coming, right? And we needed yeah. something dramatic to kind of kick us in the butt. And here we have it, right? Yeah, well, let's let's push through into some specifics here. What do you say? Because you and I keep talking about, yeah, boundaries are better, and we've got better boundaries. What what, spe- what specific boundaries are you seeing that you think are are having a positive effect? Um, people started started going home on time. You know, yeah. I think that one's huge. I think that's one that we we let slip a little too often in our profession. We take that one more case. We just stay a little bit later. We got to stay to make those phone calls. It just it's just not happening as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sort of the wonderful but slightly unrealistic expectations we put on ourselves for customer service. You know, like, I don't know about you, but my personal doctor has never called me back same day with my blood work results. So, you know, especially ones that were not critical, like life-threatening type things. So Mm -hmm. I I see a lot of people saying like, yeah, it's going to be a few days. You know, you might get an email, you might talk to a technician, like those sorts of things that were always okay, but we as a culture didn't really do, like are now okay. Yeah, Um, I've gotten good at saying uh, two to three days. So I'll have some blood work back for you in two to three days. You know how many people get mad when you tell them to be two to three days? None, not one, nobody cares. But then they're thrilled when I call them the next day because things are good. That's right, that's right. And you know, I try to set up everyone who like, hey, if it's it's easy, this is what we're gonna do and you're gonna hear from the technician. If we need to talk more, I'll I'll give you a call. And, And you know, if we need to talk more, we set up a telemedicine appointment and we only do those on Thursdays. So like, Hey, the doctor wants some in-depth time with you. We're gonna we've set 20 minutes aside on to on Thursday for you guys to have a Zoom so you can really dig in. And they love it. They love it. And like sometimes that means people are waiting five days for results, which I think three years ago that would have given me like heartburn. But like, yeah, no, it's just what it is. I mean, well, I as I've gotten older, I've had more interactions with human medicine. And I can tell you that it's nobody's nobody's rushing to call me the next morning about anything. Uh yeah. so. You know, I, I don't think that's that it's a wild concept to people. Is you know, is I was um, I was goofing around with some numbers uh, when I was sort of putting that practical boundaries talk together, and I was like, you know, it's funny. Uh, there's all these things that we do or 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 that we don't do. We have these sort of systems, or we don't really have good boundaries towards the end of the day, or we don't have a good processes for getting people done at the practice and out the door. I was like, you know, let's just say that there's something that we do that's not super efficient. And, uh, and it, when, you know, when it, when it kind of goes wrong or we take that extra appointment or whatever, let's just say that the team stays seven minutes late 
you know, seven minutes. It's not a big deal. But let's say it happens like three times a week. So three three days a week, we stay an extra seven minutes. I'm like that's nothing. We go well. That's twenty minutes a week mm-hmm. times fifty weeks a year is a thousand minutes. That's yeah. seventeen hours yeah. out of the year that you spent just not quite getting done and getting out. That's a hundred and seventy hours in ten years. You know, <laughs> like yeah. three hundred and some hours in a twenty year career. You know, and you go, it, it's. Again, I'm not trying to split hairs, but like that stuff matters. And we've just always kind of been rather laissez-faire about, you know, what's 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 a, what's in it? What's a 10-minute break every day? Like that's that's 50 minutes a, a week, you know, times yeah. 50 weeks. You know, you do the math. That's 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 quality. That's rest time. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's time for you just to detach and and get your head straight and come back to work. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I and I think that uh those little moments, they wear on us, they wear on our staff. I, you know, there's a lot of great work that's come out on burnout and technicians in the last year. Um, and predictability and control over schedule was one of the main ways that you could protect against burnout in your technical staff. And like, I, doesn't that just speak volumes? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have been blown away by the lack of predictability uh, in scheduling for in our profession. I, I don't think I really realized until the last year or two, how many technicians don't know what their schedule is going to be next week. You know, they just, they're like, I don't know what I do next week. And I go, Ooh, that's, that's a hard, that's a real I hard way life. to live. You live a life as an adult, you know, not yeah. knowing, can I have a hair appointment next week? Like, come on, a dentist appointment, anything. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, I have come so much further with retaining staff and having happy staff and having a happy practice by making sure every one of my staff members gets treated like a, like a grown up with important things in their life that aren't work, you know, yeah. and like it's, you know, one of my tax wives who's been with me for 10 years that I love to pieces. Evie is great. Um, she's, she told me during her review, we're talking about goals, you know, where she wanted to go. She's like, I honestly just appreciate that you let me be a mom too. Yeah. It's like, I don't care if she's on the front. Her kid calls her from, you know, home, like he's doing zoom class and he needs, I don't care. We'll take your call. We'll, you know, like we can wait five minutes for you. And like, that means I get this great RVT who otherwise just would have left the workforce. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of my other RVTs came to work for me. Uh, the job she was at previously told her that she absolutely had to be on call on Saturdays. There was no other option. She takes care of her disabled mother on Saturdays. That's her day yeah. and the family to do it. She can't do that. Yeah. And so like, just by saying like, okay, no, like <laughs> that's something I can work with. Like, you know, like that level, it's the level of respect that I want. And yeah. extending that to everybody, like, Gosh, everybody just wants to be treated well, you know, like they're a human being. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, I think that's true. I, I've been, it's been interesting watching some of the boundaries that I've seen practices put in place. And at first, I'll kind of look a little sideways at them. And, and then later on, as, as I hear more feedback about these things, uh, I'm kind of impressed. And so I'll give you an example, uh, you know, enforcing breaks. When, when I heard, first heard of practices being like, we enforce breaks, not only do we, give you time to take breaks, but we are going to make you, you have to take them. I was like, "Mm, I don't like that. As as someone who doesn't like to be told what to do, I don't like that. And mm. I I will tell you that um, lunch is legally mandated in California. I live in the great state of California where we have a law for everything. And (laughs) when I moved here, um, that was the one that I was like, are you kidding? Like, come on, this is medicine. And really like, we're going to we're going to legally enforce this. Yeah. But I will tell you, I never had a lunch break in veterinary medicine until it was legally required. And yeah. um, it wasn't legally required for the doctors, but you saw the techs doing it. And you were like, 
well, maybe I can too. And well, yeah. So, like, like, I, don't, I don't have any help. I might as well just sit down and eat lunch. I no. mean, yeah, exactly. I got nobody to help me. So I guess I'm going to go eat lunch. And so, I mean, like, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Um, well, but yeah, it feels draconian at first. But then you realize that, like, we're fighting against a big cultural push. We're fighting against the cultural push not to do it. So sometimes you got to fight back, you know? Yeah. I, no, I agree with that. And that, that's that I think that's a big part of his fighting the cultural push. The other thing that kind of blew my mind and where I sort of came around on this is, you know, like work ethic is one of my core values. Like I, I it just, I, I believe that that's work hard. I think that that's mm-hmm. just part of what it means to be a good person is you work hard. And mm-hmm. it's just, that's a hundred percent how I was, how I was raised. Um, when we say, Hey, Tex, you guys can take lunch break and here is the time to do it. Um, I see, and I've seen a lot of practices that will say, yep, you have this time to do it. Meanwhile, I'm going to keep working over here. Just so you know, I'll be working. And you go, oh, now you're laying this guilt on them. And the other thing is there are other people who go, you know what? You guys go ahead to lunch. I'll stay here and help. Yeah. And those people get ahead. And, 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 And the work ethic part of me goes, they should get ahead because they're there and they're working. They're putting the time. And I go, yes, but if you flip this around, right, if I reward someone for staying and working, that's the exact same thing as me penalizing other people for not staying and working. And now I am penalizing people for taking lunch by allowing other people to stay through lunch and gain favor, favor, gain opportunities, gain experience, gain knowledge. And so I, I, I kind of had to roll that around in my mind a bit before I was like, okay, I, I'm on board with, with saying, you know what, you go, everyone goes to lunch. That's that's what we do. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, and I think the more that we, you know, like be the change you want to see in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, you know, I, I, you know, as I started to talk about well-being and started to collect data and statistics on things like, I mean, we're talking about lunch. Uh, when I did the poll three years ago, 75% of veterinarians didn't regularly take lunch. Uh, 75%. Oh my God. And guess what? I was one of them. (laughs) Like I'm doing the poll. I'm giving the lecture. And I was like, oh, it's really hypocritical of me to be talking about this and not doing it. And so, you know, I, I think that these changes, they aren't, they aren't impossible, but they do take some, some neurons, right? Like you gotta, you gotta say to yourself, like, no, as, as much as I I feel like I should sit here and make phone calls for the next half hour, I'm actually going to go walk to Starbucks. Like, and that's just what you got to do. And you know, what I have learned is I am a better, more efficient, more focused doctor when I take those 10, 15, 30 minutes. Uh, and I, you come back refreshed, you come back, you work faster. And like, it, you don't lose time. I think a lot of people think like, oh gosh, well, I'm never going to get home on time if I don't do that. And like, actually you will, um, you'll just be more efficient when you get back because your brain is yeah. exhausted. Yeah, I agree. What do you see uh, going forward as far as changes that we can anticipate in practices. What do you think people are, are getting on board with? What do you say five years down the road that you think is going to be more normal than it is now? I I hope, I hope very much uh, that we continue to uh, be creative with how yeah. we run our practices, right? Uh, we came up with curbside medicine co- collectively as a, as a profession in, I don't know, like two days, right? And like, and, and I think perfected it over two months. Um, that means there's tremendous room for creativity. There's tremendous room for innovation. And, and I know, and you know, I, I think our profession on the whole tends to be a little bit stagnant. Like we mm-hmm. tend to be like, this is the way we used to do it. I mean, I, I think about how many times I have to use a fax machine every, every single day and it's 2021. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm very much hoping that we, we keep this creative energy and we keep this like, 
I think I will probably always do a little bit of curbside. Some of my clients really, really like it. My clients yeah. are busy professionals. They need to be taking a call in the car. Like they don't want to be sitting in the vet. Um, you know, drop off appointments. We've done a lot of those too. Like I, we've just gotten more creative with systems and I hope that continues. And I deeply, deeply, deeply hope that we, we continue to appreciate our staff yeah. and push, you know, push for fair and equal work practices, push for, for excellent benefits, excellent pay for everybody, you know, for yeah. everybody, you know, there's a shortage of vets, there's a shortage of tax. Like let's make our profession attractive, you know, yeah. again, you know, not just because everyone wants to help dogs and cats and horses, like, of course, but like also because it's a great job, you know, because it's a great job where you, you know, not only feel fulfilled from your career, but are also like, you know, rewarded in all the other ways that, you know, being adult takes. <laughs> yeah. So like, you have health insurance, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I, I hope we keep adding wellness resources and lifelines and, and that they can be very practical and pragmatic and fit into small businesses really well. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of EAPs, uh, employee assistance programs, things like that. So that, I mean, I, I don't, I don't buy into the idea of like, we should, people should have personal boundaries and we should tell our employees that they're, that they matter, but we don't really, but we don't really support them, you know, or we don't really have anything for them. And at the same time, I also think, I think this is really important as we talk about mental health and we normalize talking about mental health, uh, veterinarians are not therapists and they should not be therapists and they should not act like therapists, right? I don't want to be a therapist for my employees or my technicians or my staff or whoever. That's not what I'm good at. And that's not what I'm for. You know what I mean? That's, that's not stress that I, that I want to carry. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a really interesting, interesting intersection between peer support, which is, you know, clearly something that Nambi was built upon. And so mm -hmm. I feel very strongly about, um, and mental health. Peer support is not a replacement for mental health and mental health is not a replacement for peer support. And both have their spaces and their time and the way that they work together. And so, you know, talking about resources, I mean, EAPs are great. Um, they're underutilized, like 17% of practices have them, only 14% of employees use them when they they exist. Like we, that's a great resource that just isn't getting traction for some yeah. reason. And so like, that's something we could do better at. Absolutely. Um, I could, you know, certainly speak to what my organization is is doing. We have a couple of really big programs coming out soon. Um, we have a new program called Lifeboat, which is going to soft launch hopefully next week. Um, because we realized that a lot of people needed peer support and Facebook wasn't a good place for it. Um, mm -hmm. either they didn't want to be a member of Facebook or, you know, Facebook isn't private and right. it's never going to be private. And so we made a completely anonymous online support service where we match you with three trained volunteers. And these, mm -hmm. these guys get pretty intense training. You know, they, mm -hmm. they do uh, a lot of training and in the background, they have mental health care workers as support. So yeah. they have people that they can ask questions who are suggesting resources. Um, but you know, I, I'm really excited about that environment because, you know, not every person out there wants to be peer support or is even appropriate to be peer support, you know? Yeah. And so we want to provide that for them. And then the other thing we're making is something called clear blueprint, which is uh, a new program where, um, you know, we don't want to just make a practice certification. Like those, those things often end up just being box checks that people do, but you know, what we're doing is we're going to practices and, you know, we've developed this with lawyers and psychiatrists and, you know, a bunch of professionals and we're giving kind of like some evaluations. We give evaluations to the practice. You know, we take anonymous surveys, we observe, we, and then we, we see where that practice is actually struggling as far as wellness goes mm -hmm. and then provide targeted resources around that. It's great to say like, go, get, go take a wellness class. I mean, you know, go take a professional development class, but maybe it's not the one you actually need right, right. now. 
and and it can be hard you know you can lose the forest for the trees and yeah. um and and so i'm hoping that these two programs particularly together provide like a, a big leg up and like you know like everybody who owns a practice wants their workplace to be a, a happy place right like yeah. nobody goes into practice to be like you know i'd love to have a really toxic horrible environment can we yeah. just get that going like that's not yeah. real life but like it can be really ephemeral and like, how do I get there? Like, what do I do? Like pizza parties are not doing it. So like, where do I go next? Yeah. And so I, I'm hopeful that, you know, we can really, instead of just saying like, oh, it's really, wellness is really important. Like what, what is important? Like, yeah. and, and really start to drill down and it's going to be different for everybody. Right. Which is why I love how Claire is approaching it. So. Yeah. No, I, I no, I like that as well. I, I think my point, my point is for sure is, you know, most of us are here running vet hospitals. You know what I mean? And that is our interest and it's what we're good mm -hmm. at and it's what we know. And we want our people, uh, our colleagues to have support and get support. And we ourselves may not know how to give it. We may have reservations about getting it. We don't have time to give it. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, it's. I think it's really important for practices to have those types of outlets and be able to direct people to those types of resources. And so, yeah, some things like, things like places where places where our staff can get counseling, uh, you know, just exactly what we're talking about, whether it's peer counseling or um, or one on one counseling, things like that, virtual counseling, uh, the, you know, assistance programs, I think are, are really good. I, you know, I put um, I put drug restriction into that category as well as sort of as, as a resource. Uh, also, you know, when we look at um, when we look at depression, suicide, things like that, and we look at deaths of despair in our country, which have gone steadily up, especially during the pandemic. We're talking about opioid abuse. We're talking about suicide. We're talking about uh, drug overdoses, things like that. I, I, I really think that, um, that drug restriction is, is important. And, and I, I think that our profession is still way behind probably where we need to be. Um, but I, I see a lot of movement in that direction. I see places getting much more serious about how they control uh, control their their drugs and 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 they sort of use that to keep their employees safe, whether it's from addiction or overdose or things like that. No, I agree. I agree. And I think you know, uh, restriction to access to drugs is always something that kind of ruffles some feathers, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when you you do it in the lens of mental health, um, mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't feel as nice as oh, we're going to get you a counselor. Oh, we care about you. We're going to give you yeah. a day off. It doesn't feel, it's not a fuzzy thing. And truthfully, it doesn't fix the underlying problem. Like whatever's right. happening, it doesn't fix the underlying problem. And that's why it doesn't feel satisfying. Right. But that doesn't mean it's not important. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, specifically around the lens of suicide, I mean, unfortunately, data has shown that the primary way that veterinarians die by suicide is pentobarbital poisoning mm. in the United States. Yeah. And right. opioid poisoning is very high for our veterinary technicians. And so just from a very practical standpoint, you know, like that's something we need to, to address. And, right. you know, across suicide prevention, no matter what lens you're, you're talking about across suicide prevention, preventing access to means of suicide is one of the primary ways that we intervene in the, the acute phase. Right. Um, and every everywhere it's done, it gets pushed back. I remember when they put the nets. I live in San Francisco. Um, unfortunately, the Golden Gate Bridge uh, used to be one of the um, top places in the world for people to die by suicide. Um, that's really not something you want your city, no, you know. That doesn't, uh, yeah, that doesn't go on the on the pamphlet. It's not on a postcard, right? Like that's not. And so, you know, the people, the the park rangers who take care of the Golden Gate Bridge have done a lot of things. There are phones that you get directly connected to a crisis line, you know, every twenty feet on the Golden Gate Bridge. And then a couple of years ago, they put up nets, and the nets were really expensive really expensive. And they, you know, of course, it was another tax on your registration and et cetera, et cetera. So people kind of, you know, rattled their fist at them. But 
it worked, you know? And, um, you know, I, I think that some of the, the solutions to wellness issues, you know, like we were talking about in the beginning, they're not, you know, suicide prevention isn't just crisis lines and mental health days, you know, like it's wages, it's prevention of access to means it's, you know, it's a lot of different things. And so, you know, I know my own practice, you know, right now we share space with an emergency hospital. And very recently they went from the, the cabinet with the key that was always on the counter. And sometimes (laughs) was, you know, like, you know, like we were supposed to not be on the counter, but it was on the counter or in the lock, you know, like that system. And they got a QBEX, you know, and, you know, even just time-wise from like a paperwork perspective. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's becoming bigger and bigger deal. Like honestly, the amount, the amount of logging and and paperwork we have to keep up with for our control drugs, especially if you're carrying the the heavy stuff. um, Yeah, it's, it's getting more and more. It's, uh, that's a, that's a, a quiet advantage of just having it all electronically done. And you're like, here's our log. It's already finished. I didn't touch it. I mean, you know, as a practice owner, those things are an investment, right? Like Cubex yeah. is an investment. Oh, yeah. And you start to, you know, of course it's important. Of course, wellness is important. But, you know, there's always other things to think about. And like staff time and like logging all that stuff. Ooh, oh, well, I mean, you know, e- even around even around to your first point too, of, you know, I, I, and I really like thinking of, of wellness this way as this massively multi, multimodal thing and say, yeah, yeah decreasing employee workload is a wellness program. And it's sort of like, yeah, if I can outsource my inventory management uh, to, you know, to a, to a drug box. No one likes menial tasks. Come on. Yeah. Nobody. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think that's the, that's the point where I want to leave it today. I, I think, um, I think the struggle is real. Um, mm-hmm. And we all know that, but guys, I think that there's, I think that there's a lot of things that we're doing. I think we're getting some things right. I think things are better than, I think things are better than they were uh, a few years ago as for, for a lot of us, as far as our boundaries. And, and honestly, the way that practices are, are looking at staff, I see paraprofessional wages going up and that makes me feel good. I see better boundaries of people saying, we're going home and we're taking lunch. And that makes my heart uh, feel good. I just, I think that they're, I think that a lot of us are figuring out ways to be more efficient. And I think, I love that I love to use the word precious. Our staff is precious, and I go, yeah, I think that's true. I think the I think the paradigm shift of um, we take care of our staff and they'll take care of our clients beats the hell out of we'll take care of clients and hope our staff is okay. Um, yeah. And that's I think I think a lot of us have gone through that, and I think that's really good. Yeah, let's stop trauma bonding. You know, like- yes, <laughs> so- I love that. I love that phrase, trauma bonding. Oh yeah, yeah. let's definitely yeah. yeah. There's no there's no suffering award that we want to win. And so let's, let's, let's not do that. This is not the struggle Olympics. You do not need to meddle. Like we, we really, you know, we can, um, we can make the profession something, you know, there's a really great quote, quote about self-care that I always think about. And like true self-care is building a life you don't need to run away from. And like, that's just so powerful. Right. But that takes focus. It takes forethought. It takes, you know, doing the stuff that's not fun in the moment, but it's so, so important. And so all of this stuff, Kind of falls into that category for me, you know, but it's worth it. Super yeah. Carrie Journey, where can people learn more about Nomvi? Where can they find you? Um, yeah, where, where can they read more? Well, you can always visit nomvi.org, N-O-M-V.org. Um, you know, we are always looking for donations. We're always looking for volunteers. You can learn about all of our great programs. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that our good friends at Cubex are actually about to run a charity auction for us. Um, they are going to auction off a one-year um, deluxe subscription to the Cubex Mini Plus. Um, and you know, that's, that's what we use, uh, at my hospital. It handles all the things, right? It's great. 
Um, and there's going to be two winners. There's going to be kind of a, a, a random draw as well as the highest bidder is going to win. Uh, and they're donating all proceeds to Nambi. Cubex has really been really awesome to Nambi, actually. They've been supporting us for quite a while and we super appreciate them. Um, and then, you know, you can always find Nambi on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, you know, we're, we're around. So reach out if you need help. We're awesome. here. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Guys, that's our episode. That's what I got for you. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you're interested in Cubex and learning more about their uh, inventory control systems and DEA compliant storage cabinets, check out cubex.com. I'll put a link down in the show notes. Guys, take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.